On That Dead Body Show, we talk about death and murder, and at times, we may use explicit language. Hi guys, so we're a little late getting this out. I think we're just going to go ahead and change our days from Thursday to Friday. Seems to work out easier that way. Yeah, between a new middle schooler and a football schedule that's hectic at least the first month, I think we'll be better off putting them out on Fridays. Goth hippie is like uh, you. Okay, but how can that be in one person? That's my question. I don't know what you are. It's like being a little bit hippie and a little bit hood. I'm a little hippie hood goth. You're a hip, his, his hoppy goody hopper. I don't know. <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, goth. Goth hippie is what you are. You're a goth hippie. You're like. I love animals and nature, but fuck people, and let's talk about death. So what you're telling me is, is I'm Abby from... You're a lot like Abby from here in Alabama, actually. Oh, she is from Alabama, isn't she? Yeah. Good about that. Actually, if you go back to when I was a preschool teacher, they always called me the Abby of teachers. So maybe I really... You're you're a goth hippie. You really are. Goth hippie. Okay, so that's now a word. Hashtag goth hippie and... uh, a copyright so nobody plagiarizes, plagiarizes. it <laughs> don't talk over me oh, I'm so sorry just saying <laughs> while we're on the subject and I'm feeling we're not really on the subject we're not but we're gonna be for like two whole seconds um when we talk shit. over each other <laughs> it's because we're in tune and we're finishing each other's sentences because so. Because he literally sounds like James Corden right now, and I can't undo this. Thanks. <laughs> are we going to do carpool karaoke? Yes, sure. What song are we going to sing? You know which one I want to sing. Well, seeing as how the case that we're covering today is all about a lovely family, we should turn the Brady Bunch into this. <laughs> no, let's not do that. Here's a story. <laughs> no, you, you're going to get a copyright struck. Copy. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. You're going to get us. Yes. I just called out a copyright and you're going to fucking steal someone else's copyright? If I read it like this, then I can say I am just being professional. Wait, what? (laughs) Going to hell. Going to hell. I know, but, you know, that's where all my friends are going to be. Legit. Today, guys, we're going to bring you the story of Audrey Marie Hilly. Um, She was Alabama's Black Widow. Black Widows are venomous, but... This bitch was poisonous. She left dead bodies in her wake. Many. Multiple. More than one. That's not even the crazy part of the story. The crazy part of the story actually happens after people figure it out. So grab your popcorn and meet us back here for this crazy dumpster fire shitstorm of a story. Welcome to episode five. You sound so fucking good. Because I'm so fucking gonna stab you in your throat with this goddamn pen. Welcome to. Don't say that. Now it's premeditated. 
You heard it, guys. I would never stab you in the throat with my pen. This is my favorite pen. Episode number five. We made it. Yay. Audrey Marie was born in June of 33. She would go by Marie. I hate that name. You know that's Alia's name. Because I named her Alia Maria and he changed it to Alia Marie. Marie. Big Osmonds fan, maybe? No, he just did it to piss me off. Anyway. Marie was born to working class parents. And they really spoiled her a lot. Her mom couldn't really afford to stay at home like most moms that age, like in that age, could. So they gave her stuff. She was really, really spoiled with stuff. That would carry over into her marriage at the age of 17 to Frank. Who was went into the Navy. They actually got married while he was on leave. They had met when she was 12 and he was 16. Which... Only four years difference. Come on, there's more than that between your 40 and my 37. It, I've been 37 for many, many, many years. The whole time years. we've been together, the you've whole, been 37. Exactly. Um, but, I don't know, It makes it. you're right, there's only four years difference, but for some reason, it sounds creepy when you say she was 12 and he was 16. Like Right, but they didn't start dating. No, 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 no. I'm just saying. they. But they kept going back to that point in several different articles I read. They pointed out Only that he 16. knew. Only 16. I'm just saying, at 16, to know that the 12-year-old chick, but I feel like she probably grew up, was way more mature than her 12, so he probably felt like she was older. I don't know. Whatever. But they didn't marry until she was 17. Like a month before she turned 18. But they met because her parents actually moved from Blue Mountain, Alabama, Six whole minutes away to Anniston, Alabama. I mean, come on. It's like moving from the burbs. Like like the the edges of the city into the city. Oh, I know. But it's just... It's crazy what six whole minutes, you know, like a six-mile drive can do, I guess. But everything I read said that there was such a big difference when she had moved from Blue Mountain to Anniston that... Once she got there, you know, she saw that these people didn't have to, like, live paycheck to paycheck. She got to see the rich families. Or the the more well-to-do families. Right, Yeah. Well, to her, I mean, I'm sure it was rich. Upper middle class, I'm sure. I don't know that Blue Mountain would have been even middle class. Probably upper lower or lower middle, maybe. It just sounds Appalachian-y type. I mean, really. Actually, that's how it was described in a couple of things I read. Yeah, I mean. I heard banjos. So, they get married in 1951, and about nine months later, she pops out Mike, give or take, 1952-ish. And then, eight years later, which I can only assume at that point... There's an eight-year difference because either what, she's not digging this whole mom thing or he was still in the Navy? Because it didn't really ever say when he got out. That's a a large spread for children. Well, yeah. Even for somebody who's in the military. Especially for that that time frame as well since that's pretty much what women did at that time. Marie seemed to really want money, not necessarily the husband or the kids to go with it. 
So while she worked and Frank worked, she spent more money than they brought home combined. A lot more. And um, not not on incidentals or household items, just on stuff. blowing money. Yeah, blowing blowing the hell out of money. Looking back and reading all of the stuff, even in the fifties, I don't think that there was quite bipolar or manic, but I feel like Audrey probably was. Something along those lines, because she just blew money on just, like you said, stuff. She spoiled the kids with stuff like her parents did her. But mostly left the children to be raised by Frank's mother. So. What are we up to about, I mean, they've been married for several years now, 20, 25 years. Yeah. About 75. 74 is when Frank starts getting sick. Seven. Okay. And, uh, and he's sick. He, he's sick to his stomach, nauseated, not vomiting a lot, but really bad stomach cramps. And he's kind of getting to where he doesn't really want to go to work, but he knows he has to go to work because he doesn't even realize at this point how much money she's spending, but he knows he has to support his family. Mike, uh, gets sick as well. It comes down with a little bit of a stomach flu. I think they called it, but miraculously it cleared up when he left for seminary school with, with very no treatment, very little treatment. Uh, right. Just kind of went away. Huh. Magically delicious. So, they're having pretty bad money problems and they're, they're fighting and he's still going to work. Well, one day, his stomach gets so bad, he's like, okay, no, I've got to go home. And when he gets home... He figures out exactly how she's been affording all her little extra stuff. She's been hoeing herself pretty much to her bosses. She's been having sex with them for money. Uh, multiple bosses. And he doesn't even feel like he's got any room to say anything because he's so sick. So he just lets it slide. And he just keeps getting sicker and sicker. But he, he does he does leave and go, I believe, to talk with Mike. I know he went to, to Georgia to uh, to to you know, talk to a minister, I believe it may have been his son, Mike. Yeah, but he doesn't tell anybody how sick he is. At least there's nothing I can see where he told his minister or his son, even if it was the same person, that he was sick and how sick he was. You have to wonder if he had of. So after after all this being sick, though, they they decide that he has. Which I'm, I guess I should look that up. He has hepatitis, and they said infect everything. Everything said infectious hepatitis, which I'm guessing would be hepatitis B or C. I don't, I'm actually I don't not know. sure right. because the definitions have changed so much over the past 25 years right, that what right. they meant as hepatitis even then could be different. But in 1975, he tells his sister. I don't think I'm going to live. Of course, he's not, because that's why we're here. He's admitted to the hospital because his liver's shutting down, which they've again blamed on hepatitis. hepatitis, Right. right. So, you know, they think, okay, he has hepatitis, he's not going to make it. And he dies on May 25th, 1975. Then... Or back then in 1975, she collects a $31,000 policy or several. several. I think it was several policies 
But in, in today's money, in insurance, right. she collects like thirty-one thousand and like a hundred some odd dollars. Right, but today in today's money, it's around one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Right, right. It's not a it's not a, a substantial sum, but it's not an unsubstantial sum. So Frank is dead, and Marie's still blowing money. Like uh, she doesn't. They they have an autopsy performed, and she's okay with that. She, they asked to perform an autopsy. Yeah, she, yeah. She asked for it to be performed, and they they say it's hepatitis. And it, it had inflammation of several organs, including his lungs, liver, kidneys, right. I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, and at this time, Mike and his wife um, come to live with Audrey. Or Marie, excuse us, Marie, and Carol and Marie's ailing mother, Lucille. Her dad had already died of cancer a few years earlier. So now Lucille, her mother, is sick. Ailing. At this point, this is where the dumpster fire starts for me. There are several little small fires that break out, just enough to cause just enough damage to get little settlements. Right, like a fire that started in a dryer. Yeah. I mean, just tiny little itsy-bitsy things to but where... But there was always insurance. That, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you can see that she had just enough forethought to get the insurance on odd things that I guess back then people wouldn't notice. I guess now we notice because of true crime stuff. But I guess back then... Everybody just thought it was that crazy lady. I need some fire insurance on a sofa. Yeah. I mean, at one point, she actually insures her mother-in-law's furniture only. Just the furniture. Not the whole house. Just well, the furniture. that would have cost too much. I know. I'm just... But I mean, like... Were there not red flags? I don't... Anyway. So, while Mike and Terry live with them, Terry, Mike's wife, starts getting sick with stomach cramps and nausea. So much so. But aren't those the same symptoms that Frank had? Why is no one putting this shit together? I have to... Well, see, that goes back to him not telling anybody he was sick. So, but I think Carol should have known that that was the same thing that was happening. Even if Mike didn't know, I think Carol should have known, hey, that's just like my dad. But then about 1978, Carol starts getting sick. Right. Terry actually gets sick enough that she has at least one miscarriage. But all her symptoms go away when they move away. Which leads into yet another dumpster fire because when they finally get enough to move away from her, their house is damaged in a fire just enough that they have to conveniently move in with Mike and Terry and then vice versa. When Marie's house is fixed, then a fire happens at Mike and Terry's for them to have to move back in with her and Carol again. Like, I don't understand why nobody saw the sheer what-the-fuck of this woman. So, we're at 1978, and Carol starts getting sick on prom night, which I can only imagine as she gets taken to the ER on prom night that all the doctors thought she had been on drugs or drinking or something since she was complaining of nausea and vomiting. She would continue to get sicker over the next few months, and the only time it would clear up would be briefly when she managed to escape and move out on her own. And then Marie figured out a way to move in with her. And she got sick again. Yeah. At this point, Marie starts giving her actual injections, telling her she's given her fenugrin, and it's, well, not. 
the doctors can find no reason that she is nauseated. They they didn't do any tests for for you know anything like heavy metals or anything. Not at this point. At, at this point, but they they think it's in her head. They think that that Carol is it's a psychosomatic problem. Which I don't understand. Once she got to the point where she was numb and she couldn't walk anymore, it was the seventies. I mean, I guess so. The doctors at Regional Medical Center have decided it's all in her head and send her to Caraway. When she's at Caraway, which is the big blue star, it's no longer a hospital; it's an urban exploring area. But it was the big blue star in Birmingham for a long time. Even though she can no longer walk, they still think it's all in her head until she tells her friend that her mom's been secretly given her shots that she's been sworn to secrecy about. And that friend tells a family member, and that family member calls the doctor. And that doctor had recently either been to a conference or seen something about heavy metal poisoning. Right. Well, he comes and he checks her out, and he sees the Aldridge Mies lines on her nails. And in this point, I don't understand, because he knows that Marie's been giving her these injections, but they tell Marie they suspect heavy metal poisoning. So... Marie moves her. Immediately. From Caraway to UAB Hospital. I don't understand why they told her. Because if somebody says, hey, this lady's giving her kids shots. And, and then, we think she's being poisoned. Of course, it could have been water. Heavy metal poisoning and water in the 70s wasn't that big of a thing either. Well, and not only that, I don't understand why Carol herself didn't say, gee golly. This is how my dad died. Jay golly. Dad was sick, then dad died. I'm sick. Uh-oh. I mean, I'm sick with the same symptoms. While Terry lived with us, she was sick like this. Hello? At UAB, the doctors test her for heavy metal poisoning. They test her hair. And out in the hallway, Marie's getting arrested for... Not poisoning her daughter, but for bad checks. And the, the tests, yeah, the tests do come back on the hair. And uh, there's, uh, at the root, a hundred times the level that should be in the human body, which is very minuscule parts per, like, million or whatever. But the doctors don't tell the police that she's been poisoned. They wait for even more testing they let her be arrested for the bad checks, and I would assume, because even back then you didn't want to talk bad about somebody, they wanted to wait till they had all their tests back before they told the police, hey, so she was giving her these shots and she's been poisoned, for sure. But the, um, the, the tests concluded at the tip of her hair, which would have been the oldest hair, there was zero. There was like, you know, minuscule, like normal amounts of arsenic because there's normal amounts of arsenic in your body, I would guess, right? Yeah, there is normal. I mean, yeah. from probably from the air we breathe. And the 70s in in Birmingham were a hell of a time. The lead paint y'all were eating. Yeah, we were eating lead paint and... Uh, Licking it. And breathing clean exhaust from these coal furnaces around here. Well, not you know. While Marie's sitting in jail for her bad check charges, 
they decide to exhume Frank. Frank. Frank and Lucille and his mom, Carrie. Lucille was her mom. Right. Lucille was her mom and Carrie was his mom. Um, Frank was definitely murdered with arsenic. Like, there was no doubt. Right. He had he had uh, 10 to 100 times the, the amount of arsenic that he should have had. Bless that man's heart. Now, Lucille and Carrie had traces of arsenic, but not fatal amounts. So, to me, what that says is she was just keeping them sick. You know, just giving them just enough to make them sick, to make them probably not even notice what the hell she was doing. Right. So, so they, 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 they get these tests back, and they're like, oh, this is kind of suspicious. And they, they call Birmingham and put a hold on her. She's there for bad checks, and they put a hold on her. Uh, on October 9th, they come and actually formally arrest her for attempted murder on Carol and Frank's murder. And in in her belongings, I would guess, at the jail, they find a vial with traces of arsenic. In her purse. In her purse. In her what? Well, that would Yeah. They would take that from her at the jail. And I would, would hope. Well, she, so she wouldn't have Even been able to get rid of it. And they weren't. Right. She was like, well, they're not even looking for this. So she wouldn't have hid it. Right. Because she had no idea. She thought she was right. just there for bad checks. So they find a vial of arsenic in her purse or a vial with traces of arsenic in her purse. On November 9th, she somehow makes bond. On the bad check charge. And they don't see the hold. Allegedly. Which is what, that's what they call when you're in jail and another jail wants you afterwards, they put a hold on you. They allegedly didn't see it and let her go. But hey, she might have been fucking somebody. She seemed to fuck everybody else in this story. You are not even lying. I bet if we went and took a poll if these people were still alive, they would all just raise their hands. Um, So when she gets out of Birmingham jail, she goes and books a room at a hotel. Probably one of the local uh, flop house motels. Uh, do you really think she would have let that happen? Being I mean, as bougie as she was, do you think she would have? But she has to... no money, and the mo—I mean, the motels are. I mean, once you get inside, I guess they're okay. Uh, <laughs> well, it was way. the seventies, is or what? This is like early eighty. No, this is no, seventy nine. Seventy nine. Seventy nine. Because the shit show hadn't even started, even though it sounds like it has. So November night, she's released, checks into a motel uh, in Birmingham, and then disappears. And there's a note found that says... She she may or may not have been kidnapped. kidnapped. Like, Marie's gone, and she may not have... She may have been kidnapped. Like, who the fuck writes this shit? Like, we may want money for her return. But maybe not. <laughs> on, November, on November 19th... And, and, yeah, so she was gone. Right, she was gone, because she may have been kidnapped. But, but ten days later... Her aunt's house gets broken into... And the only thing taken is clothes, an overnight case, and the car. But a note was left. It said, do not call police. We will burn you out if you do. We found what we wanted. We will not bother you again. I just don't even think I have words for that. Because, first of all, if I'm her family, which I think the aunt helped her, but. Right, but she couldn't have said that. Right. Right. Um, but if you're anybody, if you've been, you know, investigating her at this point, saying that, you know, she's going to, they're going to be burnt out if they, they call the police or whatever, like, that would just scream, Marie Hilly wrote this shit to me. So she's, uh, she's 
gone. Gone. Gone for months. Uh, Were you talking over me again? I'm so sorry. On January 11th, 1980, uh, she is formally charged with her husband's murder. And uh, is added to... And her attempted murder for Carol. And and the attempted murder of her daughter, Carol. She is added to uh, the FBI's most wanted list and is a fugitive. And with any other story, this is where it would have ended. But wait, there's more. Remember how I told you this was a dumpster fire train wreck? The car that she stole from her aunts was located in Georgia, but in the meantime, she has set up a new identity in Florida. She's now living there as Robbie Hannon. And meets John Homan the third. John Homan the third. How he sounds rich. And I'm sure that's why she honed in on him. <laughs> they they uh they date, get married. They date for like only a few months, but they decide that they both just had so much tragedy in their life they don't want to wait to do anything and just boom. Right, she explained that what her her fam- her immediate fam- her husband and her kid child died in a car crash. And she was just so sad. And so they they get married and move to New Hampshire. Yes. She said she I think she said she wanted to live there. She wanted to see snow. Right. I want to see snow is code for get me the fuck out of here. I've done something really wrong in the south, and now I need to see snow. Very clearly. to the north. Yes, very clearly because loves to travel now. Right now. Let's go. Meet me at the airport. I've already left you. They're up there about a year in New Hampshire. She's working and uh, her her paperwork finally comes back and her social security number doesn't match and it doesn't come back right. Right. So her, her job says, hey, we need you to, uh, you know, it was really different back then. We didn't have the Homeland Security and Immediate all verification. and Right. All of that. It was like they would, you know. Pretty much wait until taxes and then, right. you know, hey, we don't have a social security number for this tax you've been paying. Uh, Oops. Need to verify. At this point, she starts setting up her, I guess, exit stage left and tells John that she has some type of rare blood disorder and that she's going to have to go to Texas where the only treatment centers are. But it's okay because she has a twin sister there that she can stay with. Right. And and he shouldn't come because she can deal with this on her own and he's already been through so much. Just stay here and keep the house okay for me. And so she she goes to stay with her sister, Terry Martin, in Texas. Her twin sister, Terry Martin, in Texas. And he gets a call one day from Terry later. Martin and says... Um, Robbie's dead. Uh, Robbie died, and uh, we we donated her body to science, so they can no- figure out the blood disorder. So there's nothing to ship back to you. So and don't come here. <laughs> don't come here because I'm coming there because that's what Robbie wanted. So here's where Fire One starts. <laughs> this is, y'all. If somebody sat down to write this as a movie, I just no one would fucking believe it. I mean, really, it's like truth is stranger than fiction because truth should fucking make sense. And none of this whole entire story makes any sense. So Terry shows up to meet John. Right. And it's actually Robbie. He's actually Marie. Right. So Marie, posing as Robbie, Robbie who's, who's, died. who's died, 
is now posing as Terry, Robbie's twin sister. And she has, in the interim of the three months, lost 50 pounds, cut and bleached her hair blonde. Yes. So she shows up to meet John, and he's a dumbass, and he falls for her. And they get married. Because that's what Robbie wanted. Now, you're a guy. But... He may have fallen for it, but not everyone did. Well, my question, okay, so that's what I'm saying. You're a guy. You know me. You know things about me. Even everything down to the irritating things I do. If you gained 300 pounds or lost 100 some odd pounds. Are you telling me you wouldn't know that was me? I wouldn't know that was you. I'm just what I, like, I. You're like, no, my sister wants to stab you in your throat, too. With this pen. With that pen, right. Not like, not this pen, because this was my sister's favorite I mean, pen. she changed small things, but I just can't see how he didn't know. Even as a young girl, when I saw the, the movie version of this, I, I think I even thought then, in whatever mindset I had, he's dumb. Or he knew. Right, right. There There is that possibility. So and he's, he's just oblivious. He's oblivious. I mean, he or he was in on it. I mean, there's there's always that. Well, yeah. Where I he mean, knew it was Robbie, not Terry, and said, you know, okay, well, you're running from something clearly, right? But the, I don't know. That's a little. That's a little stretch. But <clears throat> pardon me. Um, I just had a. Oh, God. So, although he fell for it, none of the people that Robbie used to work with fell for it. They were because like, they go to her work. And they were like, yeah, she wants to go there and meet the people that her sister her, told her so much about. And they were like, no. No. Robbie, we know it's you. We know you're faking your death for some reason or other. We don't know why you're pulling this twin sister bullshit. Because... <laughs> Here's Robbie, who's lived most everywhere. <laughs> I guess I can't complain about you copywriting the Brady right? Bunch, which is really weird because Mike and Carol were her kids. You know, I really wasn't thinking about that when I was singing that earlier. That's a little bit creepy, even for me. Picture it. Picture a woman. You know, for two seconds, I wasn't sure if you were going to be Sophia with Picture at Sicily or Picture Rod Serling. Sicily, 1945. I was I, doing Rod Serling. I, yeah. I called it at the end. Um, yeah, because she does Picture it. He says, Picture a man. Oh, my God. If they had children. <laughs> Picture a man. Sicily, Wait, 1945. 1945. <laughs> I love Sophia. At any rate. Uh, this is this the mess all sort of. They don't. Uh, and... Different things said that the lady who had actually taken the social security number and had confronted her about it not being correct is actually the one who called the police and said, Hey, so this bitch is faking her death. I don't know. We don't know why. But the police look at the at the obituary for Robbie and they're like, they can't confirm that there's a death certificate or anything. That she even existed. Right. And it turns out that the research place that she supposedly donated her body doesn't even exist. So, it... <laughs> and so, she said, you got me. I'm not Terry. And they're like, we know, you're Robbie. And she's like, just kidding, I'm not even Robbie. I'm, I'm... Audrey Marie Hilly. Now, at this and point... I'm wanted, and I'm wanted for murder in Alabama. No, 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 no. She just said, I'm wanted in Alabama for bad checks. 
But, okay, so let's just think about this. She's in New Hampshire, where they say things like khakis. Okay, maybe not, because maybe that's just Jersey. But she's from Alabama, and you know she's got to be talking like this. And she's like, you're right, I'm Audrey Marie Hilly. And at this time, she's wanted. She's on the FBI's, FBI's most wanted list. But she list. doesn't know that. Right, right. she doesn't even know she so was tried. So they go, oh, wait, we've all been looking for you. And they extradite her back to yes. Alabama for right. the murder charge and the attempted murder charge. Which, this time, they decide to get smart and put her on a $320,000 bail. Right. Bond, whatever. And she, she of course, she goes to trial and is convicted. Right. She gets life for Frank and 20 years for Carol. And uh, she goes to prison. And, and she... in any other story, this would be the end. But wait. She's in prison and she's such a model prisoner. And it's the 80s. So she begins to get one day furloughs. And she gets those and she's always back on time. And she works herself up, and I guess she's such a model prisoner. She, you know, we keep letting her out, and she keeps coming back. They give her a three-day furlough uh, to meet John, who has moved to Alabama. He knows that she's not Robbie or Terry. He knows that uh, she's Audrey Marie, and he knows that she killed her husband, but he still loves her. And he moves to Alabama, and she gets a three-day furlough. She's going to spend the weekend with him at a hotel. Bless his heart, he stood by her this whole time, and I can only hope that you would stand by me to this extent. Well, I don't know. Are you going to screw me like she does him? (laughs) So, they're at the hotel, and I I think, like in the movie you mentioned, she... I think she says, I'm hungry. But I I believe in, in like, the the reports that I've read and and some some other material that... um, he went to get her smokes and went to the store to get her a couple of things. Right. Either way, she gets him out of the, the hotel room and... He comes back and she's gone. Oh, but there's a note. But there's a note that says... I'm not going back to prison. I'm leaving with Walter. Whoever the fuck Walter is because we've not heard of a Walter up to this. She, and it's an apology note. It says, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't go back to prison. I'm yeah. leaving with Walter or whatever. Now, for those of you who are not from the South or Alabama period and don't know much about it. The summer is our dry, droughty, no rain. But in the wintertime, that's when everything is wet and soggy. Unless it's a tornado. Right. In January. Yeah, well, we get tornadoes a lot. Y'all should all check out James Spann. Like, it's it's, uh, pretty late at night and uh, it's probably 90 degrees outside. Humidity's probably in the 80s. Yay. And tomorrow it could be 65, 70 degrees. In the morning, yeah. Yeah. You just, you never know. But in the winter, you know it's usually around January, February. That's our wet times of the year here. So it's February, and she's on the run, and there is no Walter. She's... She leaves him in Wetumpka, and four days later, in 30 degrees something weather and rain, she is actually found when a woman calls the police and says... There's a strange woman sprawled out on my back porch, and it turns out to be her, 95 miles away. Right. They had they had actually gotten other calls of a, a stranger wandering around in the rain, stumbling around aimlessly, and they were like, you know, could you come, this person may be drunk, or, right. or maybe, you know, 
But it's cold as fuck. So can uh, somebody come check on them? Right. And they find her and she says, uh, like, I'm Audrey Marie Hilly. I, well, I, I don't know if she said, because they said she was delusional. So right. I don't know if they looked at her and they were like, hey, y'all, this is Audrey right. Marie Hilly. Right, right. But she's, she's obviously suffering from exposure to the elements. Right. They but she's her. made it back to Blue Mountain. She went all the way home to Blue Mountain. Right, right. Trying to make it, I believe, to her old home. Right, which... Right, which no longer... You don't live there anymore, baby. And haven't. Even they left there to go to Anison. So, I mean, what was she trying to do? Like, get back to her roots, literally? I. They carry her to a hospital where, where she is diagnosed with... Uh, hypothermia. Uh, hi, a, acute hypothermia, I believe, yeah. And uh, as she's there in the hospital... They try to get her warm. They're they're warming her up and, and doing all the hypothermia. You know, you have to warm them up, I believe, gradually. Very slowly, yeah. Right? Or they'll just... lose phalanges. Smart person word for fingers. He also calls things etage and... Whatever. Okay, so... Uh, What's the other one? The, the credenza. The credenza. The credenza. You and Virginia should hang out with her portico talk. So she's there, acute hypothermia, and uh, another symptom of acute hypothermia is cardiac arrest. And she dies there. She's actually pronounced at 5.06 p.m., Going back and looking at everything, uh, she may have been the poisoner of her mother and mother-in-law. Right. And it said that her dad actually died of cancer, but in all of the stuff I was reading about this, arsenic is actually a, I'm not going to say this right, carcinogen? Did I say it it right? Um, Which could have led to them having cancer and being sick. So that would be... Again, this is allegedly her mom, her mother-in-law, maybe her dad. But, I mean, maybe he really just did have cancer. An 11-year-old friend of Carol's died after having been there at the house. Uh, I believe her name was Sonia. Sonia Sonia Marcel Gibson, yes. Uh, 11 years old. And she didn't have high levels of arsenic, but, I mean, come on. I know correlation isn't causation, but if this lady gives this bitch killed a bunch of people with... And then all of a sudden, this girl had been at their house and dies, I think, maybe guilty. One of the other things that I read was that, and I didn't actually see this till the very end of the research, was that she actually followed very closely the Nanny Doss case, which was a female poisoner. The giggling granny. granny. Right. Yeah. So I'm thinking that's where she got her ideas who, from. Who, who was also from Alabama? I'm pretty sure she was. I believe the giggling granny is from Alabama. We might we might do an Alabama. I have another Alabama uh, killer that I would like to do, but that's a secret, and I'm not letting it out right now. Uh, it is a guy, uh, a male. I know. Right. <laughs> um, uh, all kinds of other. I believe that some of the insurance agents who came and to the examine police investigators and the police investigators all experienced nausea or stomach problems or, you know, some intestinal issues after having been there and had coffee or, you know, pretty much anything to drink. At one point when she is going through all the these tiny little fires and she's called the police several times and she's told them that she's getting harassing phone calls. So they kind of come and set up a bug, you know, like to trace the phone calls and not near a phone call comes in. But that's when she starts giving them the coffee. Like, you know, well, while you're here, just have some coffee with me. Yeah, and so all of these people who, who had been there 
and and been sick, someone did report it to the police. And they came and investigated. They said, you know, I had coffee at her house and I'm I'm intensely ill now and there's been a lot of reports of other people. So they go and they investigate and, and nothing comes of it and it's it's really strange. I mean, if you would think it's a small town. If there's really an investment if there's an invest I mean it's not it's it's not that small. I think there's a military base there, but so if you come and investigate, hey, this person thinks they might have been poisoned, all these other people have been sick, and then her husband dies of nausea, come on. It's not a huge fucking leap to think, hey, maybe we should investigate this a little bit further. I, I mean... I think... When Frank died the same goddamn symptoms, come on. Frank had the same symptoms. Mike's wife had the same symptoms. Carol would go on to have the same symptoms. And at no point did anybody put any of this together. Either everybody was oblivious and suddenly wasn't a gossipy town, which you're not going to tell me didn't happen. People were talking. So, I just do not understand how nobody called in on this. Was she just like, that town's crazy person? Do <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though? I mean, like, because... You know, everybody has that town person. They're like, you know, don't go over to so-and-so's house because of whatever reason. Was she that person? And, like, they just knew, like, don't go over to Aunt Betty's house because whatever. You can't tell me nobody put this together or nobody talked about her with her cheating, hoeing, shoplifting, crazy-ass stunts. She had to have been the talk of the town. Right, so there you have it. Uh, Alabama's poisonous black widow. Dumpster fire. Robbie Hannon, Terry Martin, Audrey Marie Hilly. <laughs> That's a bunch of hyphens. That is, that is. Um, that was episode number five, guys. Uh, Thanks for sticking around. Yeah, really. Uh, like, subscribe, rate, uh, review. Do everything you can to help us out because uh, it really helps us out. I would like to say thank you to another friend who has helped us both, um, Nikki from Strictly Homicide. Between her and the girls that I said, goddamn, they both helped us so much and made sure that we had support going into all of this. I can't tell you how nice it is to know that you're not being, I don't know, what's the word, not, that you're being encouraged and not pushed away by you know other podcasters it's like a podcasting family and that's actually a really nice feeling so join us here next week family and uh y'all bring the ice okay bye now bye